Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast may contain adult themes, strong language, and stupid health advice. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to In Bad Taste, where we cast a critical eye over health documentaries and the claims they make. I'm your host, registered nutritionist Pixie Turner. And I'm cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Nikki Stamp. Now, we've already spent two glorious episodes talking about the 2004 film Fed Up, which happily doesn't want to attack your nether regions with wellness, but it does have some pretty odd ideas about health in the world. But fear not, we are here to sort them out for you. Oh, we most certainly are. And this week, we are sticking up for people, especially when it comes to the notion that with your health, you get what you deserve. Which, let's be honest, is a theme these kinds of documentaries play on pretty regularly. They All they're saying is, just do our diet, really, really want it, have that willpower, and you will be disease-free with the bone density of Charlotte Gerson, or the battle rope prowess of the, whatever the guy is called from Game Changers. Yeah, his, uh, whatever he's called, what's his face, it was so long ago, I'd even forgotten he did battle ropes, let alone his name. Uh, anyway, this week we are going to <laughs> we're going to look at something that this film kind of gets close to doing okay in some parts and then it all just sort of falls apart and that is talk about this idea that you get the health that you deserve. We think that this really needs an in-depth conversation about some of the the myths that they try to push onto us during the course of this film. Absolutely. Like we mentioned last time, they do go with this idea of it's not just calories in versus calories out, but they argue that in the context of, yeah, because sugar. Whereas we're saying, no, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. This essentially is this narrative of personal responsibility. Mm. The idea that health is very much within our control and it is something that we have a moral responsibility as good citizens to try and achieve at all costs. And this narrative of personal responsibility comes from this neoliberal model of healthism that we adopt in society, which basically says health is your individual responsibility and you have to have good health in order to be a good citizen. That is the model that we currently operate under and it is fucked up. Mm. It is. I mean, no one, no matter what you do in your life, no matter how, you know, sex, drugs and rock and ho- rock and roll you've lived your life, nobody ever deserves to be sick. Like 
there's nothing that could ever justify that, okay? Let's just put that on the table straight away. Um, And, again, yeah, there was this moment in the film where they're like, you know, um, eat less, move more is, is wrong. And I'm like, yes. Yes, that's right. And then and then they, they sort of delve off into, so eat less sugar. I'm like, no, no. Okay. You had it for like a second and then you let it go. Like what the hell happened? Right? And like, yes, some people do need to eat less sugar, but that is not the sum and the be all and end all of health. No, it's really not. I mean, I, I guess this, this, this thing about personal responsibility is, it, it is that, that thing that comes across and I think it's really done uh, in wellness culture, in diets, in gyms, oh, in yes. exercise programs, on social media, um, you know, just work hard, girl, you know, you've got this, you know, um, you know, picture your bikini body sort of thing, you know, that that is, um, you know, that, that that's all you need to do. You just need to motivate yourself more um, and, and you get the body that you deserve is, is just, it, it's so false because, as we've already discussed in the last episode, health is just is just so complicated. And I think that this kind of this, you know, you get what you deserve thing really feeds into a lot of biases that are held about people's uh, health, about their health state, about how much they care for their body, about perceptions, particularly around bigger bodies. Um, and And, you know, weight stigma is something that, they do not do a very good job of addressing in this film and we think that's a bit of a a bit of a problem yeah so this weight stigma also it's important for us as healthcare professionals to acknowledge that healthcare settings are a huge site for weight stigma and this what often happens in this case is that a patient walks in and they are seen as their weight and nothing but their weight and no matter what issue they present with the focus is then immediately on how they look. And when weight loss is made the number one priority, and when someone is defined by their weight, it affects how healthcare professionals also think about weight and health. Mm-hmm. So weight bias and weight stigma has been well documented in dietitians, doctors, nurses, psychologists, pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. psychologists will say that a fat patient has more severe symptoms and a worse prognosis compared with when that patient is thin, even if they present with identical psychological profiles. And there's a really interesting piece of research that Judy Swift has done. I fucking love her. She's amazing. Uh, She did an (laughs) assessment of trainee dietitians, doctors, nurses, and nutritionists. And what she showed was that 98% had some degree of fat phobia and negative attitudes towards people in larger bodies. These are future healthcare professionals who are supposed to be treating people for any health issues that they face. This bias is is totally unacceptable and it is really important that as healthcare professionals we acknowledge that and say that this is a big problem and that our professions are part of that problem. I um oh I have I have a bad story. I have actually I have multiple bad stories. They all concern the same person. Yeah, I have to say that that this kind of overt bias I'm about to describe is really uncommon. Um, like a lot of biases, they're kind of these sort of grumbling under the surface things that are a bit unconscious, but sometimes they come out in just the most horrific ways. And I, I worked for a, a, a person who um, I was my senior and when I was a, a jun- like a really junior registrar, I was in this person's clinic. I was learning, you know, how to see people in clinics, you know, for before they had their heart surgery. And this woman came in and the reason that she'd been referred in is that she was having bariatric surgery 
Um, and during the, the workup for her surgery, they found that she had uh, a heart problem. And so she needed to get her heart fixed first before she could have the bariatric surgery safely. And this guy looked at her and said, and just looked like, you know, really sort of, you know, judgy at her and said, what you need an operation to keep your hand away from your mouth. And I just, I, I didn't know what to say because I was a baby. Like I said, I was a baby. Um, oh, no. And I didn't know what to say. And I was just, I think I just sat there with my mouth gaping open, just going, that is not right. That is not funny. It's not appropriate. It's not correct. And I didn't know what to say. And I have to be honest, you know. That's so awful. It's so awful. And it's, it was such a power differential for me. I just didn't. I didn't know what to say and, and I didn't say anything. But as I got a bit further on in my career and once I sort of became a peer with this person, when I'd hear him say shit like, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, have to call in Greenpeace, there's a whale on the table and stuff like that, I'd be like, excuse me, that is not okay. That is completely inappropriate. Um, <laughs> you know, and I have to be honest, like speaking up against that kind of thing, this is one of the many things that this person had some very strong and very incorrect opinions on, um, you know, really cost me um, to a degree in my career. And I'm like, how is that right? Because that 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 person is in the wrong and they think that the, but by saying, you know, telling people, hey, you know, you're fat, in using the negative sense of that term, that he's going to change people's lives and they're going to, you know, lose weight and be, you know, bikini body ready or whatever. You know, it's not helpful. It's really dangerous. Um, you know, it's really alienating. And we know that that those sorts of things, not only like that horrible cringeworthy moment, like, you know, that we've both just sort of have re-experienced and you've experienced for the first time hearing that story, but they are those sorts of moments, are, are, you know, fuel the way we treat patients. We, you know, as you sort of mentioned, we, you know, treat their symptoms a bit differently we treat their pain a bit differently we attribute everything to their weight and sometimes that means that we miss things that uh, are important um you know and that stress that that constant you know whether it be from healthcare workers or whether it be from you know in your day-to-day life in society you know having to to deal with that all the time it, you know, it, it obviously makes your psychological health quite precarious but it has a definite biological impact on our health, that chronic stress, you know, leads to to maladaptive biological processes, which in and of themselves create, you know, preponderance to disease or, or exaggerate disease, all these sorts of things. They all feed back. And shock mm-hmm. horror, this is going to surprise nobody, knowing that you are bigger, thinking that you are fat, being teased about being fat does not make you any more likely to be thin. Okay, it does not work. You know, <laughs> in fact, it's more likely to do the opposite. Correct. So, yeah, as you said, weight stigma is a chronic stressor. Mm-hmm. It elicits a stress response in the body. And so as a result of that, it increases blood pressure. It also increases cortisol reactivity, which actually leads to increased appetite and more likely that someone's going to binge eat. Mm-hmm. So weight stigma is associated with increased risk for depression, anxiety, body dissatisfaction, and low self-esteem. Perceived weight stigma, so if someone feels that they are being stigmatized for their weight, it increases their risk of dying prematurely by over 50%. Mm. Weight stigma has repeatedly been shown to be a separate and unique factor that affects health outcomes and, and health behaviors. Both adults and children, and it's worth mentioning children because there are children who are presented in this documentary, 
Adults and children who experience weight stigma are actually less likely to engage in healthful behaviors like exercise, like eating a nutritious diet. Weight stigma reduces someone's quality of life and it actually completely interferes with people's attempts to lose weight and improve their health and actually often leads to weight gain instead. And this is this is so important to state clearly and to the point because people think that being a dick to a fat person is going to make them lose weight and it's absolutely fucking not. In fact, you're actually making that person's health worse. So in essence, don't be a fucking asshole. Be kind to people. Stop making stupid assumptions about people just because of how they look. Do you know, um, you bring up a really important point because kids are prone to it. And we see two examples of this in this film. Like there's um, the young girl, uh, Maggie, um, who says that her doctor called her a statistic. Now, obviously, you know, the doctor may have said something else and, and, and you know, he didn't actually say, hey, you're a shitty statistic. Um, but, again, she perceived it that way. All she heard was that I'm a dehumanised number on a page. Um, and, you know, she 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 was really hurt by that. She said she was kind of hurt by that. And there was the other young kid who we see him at the doctor with his mother and the doctor is just so dismissive of him. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I the doctor completely talks over him. He literally, th- th- this... This kid, this 13-year-old kid is right there and there's him and his mum and the doctor in the room and the doctor is talking to the mum as if the kid isn't even there. Mm. He's saying things like, his body is doing this, his weight hasn't changed. And I'm like, he's right there. He's sitting right there. Talk to him as a human being. This is, it's so dehumanizing and it feels like really bad practice. Uh, And of course, it's a man who does that. Of course, it's a man who fucks it up like that (laughs) and treats this poor kid like he's not even there and not even human. It's so awful. I I don't look after kids very much anymore. Um, I I predominantly do adults, but when I did do a bit more pediatrics, I, for, for, you know, kids who are big enough, like, you know, teenagers particularly, I would actually do things like get them to sign their own consent form. Like the parents have to co-sign it to make it legal, but, you know, to treat them like actual human beings because they are, um, I just, I, I just, yeah, I, I found those two examples really uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to have to stick up for my colleagues here. Not everyone, obviously, not every dietitian, not every nurse, da 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 You know, I, I, I work with some amazing people who are kind no matter what. Um, and I also think that, you know, again, not an excuse. I, I do think a lot of this is subconscious. I think there is a lack of learning and understanding around these issues as well. Um, so I think people you know, it, it, the intention might be good, but the execution really just it, it really sucks. Um, but, you know, one mm. of the things I picked up on really early on in the film and, you know, you could turn on pretty much most news stations and see this was that they showed these people in bigger bodies and they, um, they like faceless people, they're just shown from the waist down, they're always shown doing behaviours like eating or sitting, um, you know, behaviours that we associate with this, you know, um, this sort of phenotype of fat, right, of fatness, which is, you know, lazy, unmotivated, um, you know, bring it on themselves, which we've already discussed before. It's complete, you know, <laughs> it's just not appropriate. Um, and I was like, ooh, that smarts a bit. I don't like that. And, I, you know, look, this this film was made, um, you know, nearly 15 years or over 15 years ago. And in the meantime, there are very good, very uh, deliberate guidelines on, um, on how to portray people in the media um, who are bigger because, you know, I mean, I was, do you say it on the news and like they'll be tell, talking a story about, you know, diets and they'll show these, you know, they've obviously gone down to, you know, the middle of the city and they've filmed 
you know, some bigger people. And imagine if you were watching the news that night and saw yourself on that. Like I just always felt, oh, so, so awkward. <laughs> I mean, imagine the same. Right? They're real people. They're real human beings. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so there are guidelines. It's by the um, uh, by the Obesity, um, Obesity Action Coalition um, and they are things that I think people should adhere to. Like I said, I don't, I don't think the guidelines were around when this film was made, but, you know, again, don't be a dick. <laughs> it's a fairly mm. simple request. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and alongside that, there is a there is a bank of images that exists where people can find images of people in larger bodies who, which aren't stigmatizing, which aren't you know these images of people like the headless people, mm-hmm. and actually just show literally show fat people as human beings, which is like the bare fucking minimum of what we should be aiming for, to be honest. Yeah, do you know actually? Um, I think it was, it was probably in the last couple of years there was a an inquiry, a government inquiry here in Australia, and I think we talked about this before, that um, that's talking about the language um around um fat people, bigger bodies, obesity, etc. in in the public sphere, and it was actually agreed upon that even um using the term obesity, you know, had after consultation with community interest groups that you know that was not the preferred term and so it was kind of agreed upon that in advertising and public health messaging that they would you know try and encompass more negative sorry more neutral (laughs) descriptors um as as advised by by these um by these stakeholders um however they did concede that in like you know medical literature or you know any other research literature that there's not a really good replacement for that term obesity yet but i think it was really good that they um, they thought about this, you know, more than more than just a cursory. Let's find uh, um, someone in a bigger body eating a donut in the middle of the city uh, gambit, which is what is mm. usually done. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, there was a similar report on the language used in in nice guidelines. It's a yes. uh, it's a really great uh, paper called something like not so nice language or something like that. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a really good paper because. Um, they talk about again the language that we use and how what effect this kind of language has. Mm-hmm. And when 
when researchers actually talk to people with lived experience and talk to people who are actually living in larger bodies and ask them, what kind of language do you prefer? And it's amazing, again, similar kind of thing. People didn't really like the terms obese, obesity, and, and all of this. So that in itself shows that that is not language that we should be perhaps leaning towards straight away. And that is exactly what we've been trying to do mm -hmm. on this podcast here. Mm -hmm. We've deliberately avoided using those kinds of medicalized, stigmatizing terms where possible, mm. because that is exactly what people who are with lived experience have said they, they don't want. So, yeah. And, you know, that just shows, again, the basic, the basic bare fucking minimum of listening to people. <laughs> Yeah, very true. Um, you know, the other thing that I found really interesting about this film is the, the you know, it's predominantly talking about kids, right, and the main sort of uh, cast of, of characters that, uh, you know, the the people who they're trying to sort of use in their um, their narrative to support their argument are children. And, you know, there's the, the way that families are portrayed uh, you know, it's also really, it's sort of a bit uncomfortable. You know, the, the parents are also portrayed that, you know, surprising because genetics are genetics, you know, and the, the parents are also bigger, um, you know, and they kind of occasionally sort of slip into this narrative that the, the parents aren't doing enough to protect their kids' mm. health. And one of the the dads, I think it was Joe's dad, said, listen, I can't watch him 24-7. Like I can't, you know, I can't, I literally can't. This is not all my fault. And I think he was like preempting the fact that, you know, people were going to accuse him of being responsible for, for his his child's, you know, illness or, you know, whatever they, their perception was. Um, I just thought that was just really heartbreaking. I just, I'm not really, yeah, I found that conversation, those moments really, really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Same. It's, Oh, I mean, in my experience, anyone who claims that weight is that simple and that we should be dicks to people who look differently from us usually has something to sell, for one, usually a diet book, or they are so mm -hmm. entrenched in their own ideology that they can't possibly imagine how anyone can view things differently and people who do things differently are wrong and idiots and they deserve to be fat. They're often those same people, just as there are, you know, there are people who are going to tend towards being bigger naturally, there are also people who are going to be slimmer naturally, um, you know, and they are, you know, they are sometimes these people who are like, look at me, I'm still, I'm still gorgeous. <laughs> like, why can't you do it? Like, because I'm not the same as you or, you know, I, I don't, you know, starve myself during the day like you do or, you know, it, it's just this. We get so, as you say, entrenched in our own worldview, our own ideology, our own bullshit, that we kind of forget that other people might have a different a different take on the world, a different view on the world, and, and it's not the same as ours. And, mm. you know, why is that such a hard thing to buy into? Um, yeah. You know, we, we say, I mean, this, we see that a lot with not just all, not just with weight stigma when it comes to health, with so many different forms of bias. Yes, absolutely. I think that really links to something else that we want to bring up is that weight stigma doesn't exist in, in isolation and that weight stigma is, is in essence a, a form of social stressor which can impact a person's health. And any other form of discrimination can very much do the same thing. You know, whether that's uh, sexism or racism or homophobia 
all of these things do also have an impact on our stress, which then have an impact on our health. Are we surprised? No, but this again is not really talked about enough. So LGBTQ plus individuals are known to be at a greater risk of mental health issues and are more likely to actually seek mental health services compared with heterosexual people. And discrimination and harassment has a huge negative effect on the body image of queer and transgender and non-binary folks. We have research that backs this up. We also know that people who experience racism have a much higher rate of both mental and physical ill health, including things like heart disease, diabetes, anxiety, and depression. And this has been linked in research to chronic stress due to discrimination. It is, the, the effects of this are absolutely huge. And I think with this, we need to address the way we talk about this as well, because we often say things like being black is a risk factor or being queer is a risk factor. No, no, no. Being these things is not a risk factor. The world makes the, the world and its oppression and discrimination is the risk factor that is pushed onto these individuals for something that is not their fault, for something that is simply the way that they are as human beings. It's not that someone is to mm. blame because they're black and therefore has a higher risk of, of diabetes. No, it's the world that is fucked up with that, not that individual who can't help being black or can't help being queer or can't help being trans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's 100% right. You know, we actually should be focusing on making a world more acceptable for all kinds of people. You know, for me, for my, you know, my um, interest is is really in gender differences in healthcare, um, and particularly for women. And one of the big things that sticks out, and this sticks out in, um, in uh, uh, you know, uh, gender non-conforming people, in um, uh, LGBTIQ people, um, in race as well, is that there's a complete lack of research around the the way that illnesses different differently affect these populations. So we can't even do the right thing by them. And, you know, I think that that's a really good argument for diversity within our healthcare structures or within any kind of social structure really because those people, you know, particularly around gender, more female researchers you have, the more likely they are to include a uh, sex, sex and uh, gender disaggregated data. So we actually need to have the voices of the people we're supposed to be looking after, um, you know, telling us what they need and what they want and rather than dictating to them, you know, it's, it's very mm. frustrating. And also recognising the intersectionality of these things as well. 100%. Recognising that, you know, a fat black woman is going to have an even worse time of, of life because of discrimination than a fat white woman. There's the intersectionality of racism and weight stigma and misogyny because it's also much of the research on weight stigma has focused on white women, which yes. is a problem because that dismisses and invalidates the experience that fat black women go through, for example, and the increased stress that they're under as a result, simply because their bodies aren't seen as matching the ideal standard of beauty, which is very much thin and white. Yeah, absolutely. It's very frustrating. Uh, you know, it's frustrating for us, and you know, I, th I think you know, it's fair, safe to say that you know we we are you know relatively slim white women who are very privileged, and and you know, so if it's frustrating for us, I can't imagine how frustrating and, and not just frustrating, dangerous it is for people who actually have to to live that experience. It's you know, a completely different thing. I, I think that the the thing that frustrates me most about this film, though, is even though that they sort of they kind of try to sort of say listen you know it's not it's not about you know it's not about eat less move more we've been telling you the wrong advice for years it's about sugar and the sugar industry and so on and so forth 
you know, and you say, oh, well, that's, 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 you know, better than, than the average health documentary. Um, but then they just, they very quickly jump straight into all kinds of privileged, um, you know, behaviours. Oh, God, like, yes. You know, like I always find the, the you know, the pantry reviews and, and you know, that they're, they're, they're so privileged. There's a whole bunch of people who can afford to throw out food and start again and, you know, go on these special diets and, and so on and so forth. The people, most people can't do that. Most people can't afford to do that. You know, it's just, it, it's such a, it's such a privileged position. And again, it's, it's usually described by, by, you know, cisgendered white men. Yeah, I mean, there was one guy who literally said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that uh, we have changed the conversation from real food and cooking and going to the farmer's market instead to re-engineering processed food and to exercise. And I'm just like, your privilege has hugely jumped out. Firstly, real food, wow, not a real thing. (laughs) I realize the irony in saying that. (laughs) All food is real food because the opposite of real food is either fake food, which is plastic and I can't eat it, or imaginary food, which I can't see, therefore I cannot eat. Cooking. Not everybody is able to cook. Not everyone has access to the equipment and the skill and the resources that are needed and the time to cook. Going to the farmer's market? Fuck off. Seriously? That's what you want to go for? As As if the vast majority of people can actually do that. If you are able to go to a farmer's market, your privilege is humongously high because that is not something that a lot of people are able to access, able to reach, able to afford, and able to do something with. So yeah, I'm not surprised that we are focused on things like exercise, which is partly because of the the lobbying in the US, which we're going to come to next week, but also the whole engine mm-hmm. re-engineering of food. Yeah, you 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 can't ignore the fact that without the food industry, we'd probably be dead. And yeah, they're not completely blameless. They've not done some great stuff sometimes. But you've also got to find a way to work with them and get them to be on our side. And if that means re-engineering yep. and reformulation, fine. <laughs> Don't tell people to go to the fucking farmer's market instead because that's not going to work. Exactly. You know, these kinds of like processed food, discussions around real food, processed foods, blah, blah, blah. Can I just point out the reason that the human race exists was because we domesticated things like wheat, Um, you know, that that we, we were able to, you know, ship food because we have processed oh my god processed food but because we have foods that are able to be distributed to people you know far away from farmers markets aka major cities or other you know well-to-do places you know all of those things happen because of 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 these really important developments in in food technology and you know, I think it's so dismissive to to just say, look, you know, you can only eat from, you know, your local farm or otherwise, you know, you're just, you're not getting the nutrition that you need, you know, and you're absolutely right. You know, cooking, being able to, having the skill set to cook your food, um, having the skill set to be able to read a label on on a, on a something that you buy at the supermarket, making those decisions, um, you know, having somewhere safe to cook, you know, not everyone has that, someone having, having time to cook, not having money to cook, you're own food all of those things impact on on your health um so i, I again i just I, it's this sort of like oh we're really close and then we slip straight back into what we know best and at, that is their own life which you know seems to be pretty sweet by the way they describe it so we agree with this documentary overall when they say it's not your fault but what they are about to do is say that it's not your fault because big sugar and the food industry are fucking you over and 
that is going to be a whole big topic that we're going to be talking about next time about lobbying, big sugar, ah, scary, and all this kinds of stuff. <laughs> and we also are going to have some special guests joining us because neither of us works in policy. And also, and as I've said before, this documentary is very much US focused and we recognize that other countries exist. And so we want to do a bit of a comparison between the US, the UK and Australia in particular. And so we hope you'll join us for that next week. Yes, I think next week is going to be absolutely brilliant and I think we will be able to really get to the crux of some of the other weird arguments that they make in this film. But in the meantime, please be nice to everybody, one, but also please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating because that's how people will find our podcast and, of course, tell your mates and make sure you are subscribed because then when you open your phone, you get this lovely surprise that we're there. We are there in your phone. Hi. Um, now, if you have any questions, <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, you can get in contact with us on email in bad taste podcast at gmail.com now we'd love to hear your stories um you know we think that they're really important we'll share them if you want we won't share them but we really want to hear from you and what you think about this so please be sure to get in touch with us now you can also come and see us on our socials pixie is at pixie nutrition and nikki that's me is at dr nikki stamp <laughs> All references and relevant links, as per usual, can be found in the show notes below. Yay! So join us next time to not just talk about sugar, but big sugar. What's the difference? Find out. (laughs) Bye! who speaks English well. <laughs> Sometimes. I feel like I really fucked the whole thing up. I'm going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Okay. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,